Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we'll start with verse 5 as we begin reading here this morning. It is so good to be with you. Uh, You are a blessing to Jessica and myself and my kids, our children. Um, You mean a lot to us, and, and I'm just reminded of that as I went to the annual meeting and as I was praying for you all and our church, uh, just the Lord overwhelmed me with His love and encouragement. So I appreciate all of you and, uh, and the effort that you've made with us in this church plan. Let's begin here in Deuteronomy 6. And um, let me remind you that this is Moses speaking here. And here's what he says. Now, this is the commandment the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all the statutes and His commandments which I commanded you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not feel, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, when sorry, then take care lest you forget the Lord." who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst. He is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and He destroy you from off the face of the earth. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God for His Word. Let us pray together now. Jesus, as we pause once again, and I love that our service is interrupted by prayer constantly, because it ought to be the interruption of our life. Lord, as we pause here, would You help these words to sink deep? Would You help us to look deep in ourself this morning? Me. 
Lord, may Your Word shine light into our life. And may we hide this Word in our hearts as You told us to. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Deuteronomy means second law. That's actually what the term means. So this is a second giving of the law. Now, it's not simply a restatement. If you've ever read the book, um, many things are the same. If you notice just contextually, if you back up one chapter, chapter 5 gives us the Ten Commandments, recited just as they are found in Exodus. There's no difference there. And God, remember, takes them out of Egypt. Egypt always is viewed symbolically in the Bible as sin. It's where we came from. It's what we came out of. And when you cross the um, Red Sea, that's almost like a baptism into a new life with God, which is exactly what they go through when they cross the Red Sea and pass, by, and pass through those waters of death. Of course, God also institutes for them a meal that they can celebrate in order to remember coming out of Egypt being spared in Egypt when the angel of death flew over. It's called the Passover meal. Much like the Eucharist is for us. Communion. The Lord's Supper. This is a book of remembrance. He calls them to that at the very beginning of the book and never lets them forget it all the way through. He's reminding them of what God has done who they are, and what they're going to become. It really has a past, present, and future orientation to the book. Which, of course, every one of us is stuck in time, which means we're all stuck in a past, present, and future orientation. What God has done, what we're doing now, and what He will do, what we will do. Deuteronomy 29.1 lets us know that this is that Deuteronomy really is the covenant at Moab. You remember where the first covenant happened, right? Where God gives the covenant is at Horeb, which is Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, literally is what, what they call it. Zion even is talked about as that. This is where the covenant is given, right? Well, now, remember that generation refused God when they got to the Jordan, and all of them died in the wilderness. Now their sons and daughters have come back to the Jordan and are now at the plains of Moab, right outside of the Promised Land. And God says, okay, here's your 120-year-old leader, Moses. Remember, he's still hanging around with him. And this is it for him. He's not going any farther. He can't cross the Jordan. He can't enter into the Promised Land. And so this is really his farewell address. Deuteronomy is an extremely important book in Old Testament studies. In other words, if you want to understand the Old Testament, you must read Deuteronomy. It's one of the classics. It's one that must be read in order to understand the rest because they're all pointing back to that covenant. Now, with that being said, what does Deuteronomy really teach us? Really really three things that I'm not going to extrapolate here, but I just want you to be aware of, and that is, number one, the law itself, the covenant itself, teaches us about the character of God. What kind of God do we serve? We serve a God who is the only God. (laughs) 
We serve a God who doesn't lie. We serve a God who doesn't steal. That's the kind of God we serve. The Ten Commandments really are a summary of all of the law that's given elsewhere in the Old Testament. We, we realize the character of God. Secondly, we realize the character that is expected of us. In other words, you don't lie. I don't lie. You don't lie. It's quite simple. But then thirdly, we realize in Deuteronomy that there's something terrible within us that doesn't want to do what God wants to do. Isn't that what we find in the whole Bible, really? We find in Scripture the character of God, who is God, what is expected of us, and the fact that there's something terrible within us that doesn't want that. So what's the remedy? That's what I want to talk about. How can we, just like them, refocus on what we're doing? Refocus on our mission. Refocus on Jesus Christ. This is what Moses is calling them to do here, is a refocus. Remember the past. Remember who you are. And remember what He has called you to. The first thing that He gives here is fear. Fear the Lord. It's what He says in verse 2. That you may fear the Lord, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all His statutes and His commandments which I commanded you all the days of your life. So how do we fear Him? By being obedient. Now, there's two kind of fears, right? The fear of a tyrant, which is kind of the initial one that comes to mind. Oh, we must cower when he enters the room. We dags have a bad rap with animals. Uh, I don't know why, but we do. And when we had a little dog growing up named Little Rex, it wasn't the best of dogs. And um, when my dad would walk in the room, I'll never forget, when he'd walk in the room, that dog would go over to the corner and cower. It was scared of him. It was very fearful of him. That may be for right reason. I, I don't know. The dog would cower. Now, is that what the Scripture is saying that we should do with God is to cower in fear? Is that the kind of... No, no, no. That's, it's not the kind of fear we're talking about here. We're not talking about a fear of a tyrant that someone's going to kill you or out for your bad that is out to get you, so to speak. No, the fear of the Lord must be, and the laws of the Lord also must be found where they are found in the Bible contextually, and that is in covenant. In a relationship. A covenant is just simply a relationship. Just like the covenant of marriage. It's saying, I'm going to be with you for the rest of my life. You're stuck with me. And I'm stuck with you. And that's all there is to it. Father, that's the kind of fear we're dealing with. The fear of a father. And we just had Father's Day. But even in the Old Testament, God begins to develop the understanding. We don't have to wait to the new. We don't have to wait till Jesus comes to see that God is their Father. 
Didn't He just call them children? They are the children of Israel. Who created them? God the Father did. That's who. So the fear we're talking about is the fear of a father, which it really has to do more. Fear may not be the best translation here. Maybe honor. Honor your father and mother. Same thing. Fear them. When we honor God, we want to do what's right. When I think about the death of my pappy uh, a few months back, and I think to myself sometimes, you know, his blood is flowing through my veins. I'm a dag. And that means something to me. It doesn't mean anything to you. He wasn't your grandfather. But he was mine. And the way he lived and the way I hear people talk about him, his kindness to others, his hard work ethic, that makes me want to work hard. It makes me want to show kindness. Because I am His descendant. His blood's flowing through my veins. As Christians, we also are washed in the blood, are we not? There's someone who has laid down their perfect life for us. And that blood, so to speak, is flowing through our veins. It's why Jesus says in John 6, unless you drink of My blood and eat of My flesh, you have no part with Me. And many decided not to follow Him after that. You must get God in you. (laughs) That's the Christian message. That's the good news. God can be in you, in your person. And He is if you're a Christian. It's exactly what it means to be in Christ. Your life is found in Him. And that means something. You honor Him. You honor this temple. This is what He calls us to, is it not? Honor. Honor God. Honor Him because of what He's done. The kind of life that He lived before us. Maybe you could translate it this way by saying it's respect. I think that's a good translation of fear here is respect. Respect the Lord your God. Just like a father again. Now, my dad demanded respect, but at the same time, his character demanded respect as well because here's the deal. When he said something, he did it. If he told us, said, hey guys, I want you to fold the clothes and wash the dishes before I get home. And we're sitting here playing Nintendo. We'll get it done, Pop. And he leaves. Well, we keep playing, right? I mean, he's gone. We still got a couple more minutes and a couple minutes on a video game is an hour. And he's already back. Now, we know he's going to do what he's said he was going to do. Did he forget about the clothes? No. Did he forget about the dishes? No, he did not. We hoped that he would. We acted like we did, um, even though we didn't hear him properly. It's interesting that the term hear in Deuteronomy is... Where's my notes? I think it's mentioned... um, Let's see... 50 times 
50 times in Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel. My dad, you said all the time. Did you hear me? You ever been asked that? Because the point is, if you heard them, you will what? Do it. If you didn't do it, then you obviously didn't hear me. (laughs) I say that to my sons all the time. Jackson, did you not hear me say that? And what I mean by that is, why didn't you do it? Because hearing equals obedience. And we do it out of respect. Not only that, what, what about this for fear? What about all? Now, we use the term awesome all the time so much that we've kind of denigrated the word. We've lessened it from what it actually means. It means it, it inspires all Reverence. I think that's also what he's saying here by fear the Lord your God. Is we should... Hold Him in awe. He's not just our buddy or our pal, but instead, He is our Heavenly Father. He's God Almighty. He created everything. It's just what Job said. Job's in here arguing with God, and God comes down and says, I'm sorry, who are you again? Did, did you draw out the measurements of the earth? Do you tell the sun to rise? And the moon when to come up? Do you tell where the waters were to stop? I don't think so. In other words, we're not just dealing with a buddy. We're dealing with God Almighty. And that issues out all. He is truly all some. Worthy of all. It's kind of like when you know, you're growing up, in my situation at least, my dad was my superhero. I mean, he could do it all. And as I got older, went to college, you know, went to seminary, I began to think, well, man, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't really know everything, and he really, didn't, you know, and I began to have this smaller view of him. And then now, as I try to get out on my own, I'm starting to have another bigger view of him because I'm always calling him. Pop, my car's broken down. I need some help here. I need some help. He's still my superhero. See, I still have an awe about my dad. He is special among human beings. He's my father. The same thing with our Heavenly Father. This is not just another relationship we're in or some other contract that we have put ourselves into. This is the relationship of all of life. This is the most important relationship in our life. Your marriage won't work if you don't have this relationship functioning. You won't be able to truly love your kids or help your co-workers or make a difference in this life without God. There must be an all to our lives. We must fear Him. What it really comes down to is obedience and trust. That's what this fear leads to. Obedience and trust. Notice this. Remember the old song, Trust and Obey for what? There's no other way to be what? Happy in Jesus. How many people in our life are looking for happiness around us? How many of us feel like we're unhappy at certain points in our life? Maybe even now. How do you be happy in Jesus? Actually by trusting and obeying. You would never think it. But that's exactly the recommendation of Deuteronomy. If you want to refocus your life 
You must trust God and you must obey Him even when you don't understand it. Even when it's not easy. Even when it's going to cost you something or put your life in peril. Trust Him. Obey Him. What does Proverbs 1.7 say? The beginning, the foundation of all wisdom is what? To fear God. In our age of information, information is everywhere. It Almost at times we feel overloaded. Which information do we go with is really the question rather than we need more information. We don't need more information. We need wisdom. All knowledge is not good knowledge. We need wisdom. And wisdom only comes from fearing God. Reverencing Him. Respecting Him. Being in awe of Him. Have we lost that? Have you lost that? Have I lost that? It's time to refocus on who He is. Remember that the vision from Isaiah 6? He's not some podunk king. His train is so huge that that's all He ever even gets to see in heaven. It's already filled the whole thing up. Just the bottom piece of His garment. He's a big king. And He's the King of kings. The second thing is not only just fear, but fear is the beginning, as Proverbs says, of all wisdom. It's the beginning. The end is loving God. It's what you want your kids to do. They have to fear you. In other words, respect you. They have to reverence you. They, ha- they need to be in awe of you. They need to know that you're going to do what you told. They need to honor you. That's one of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother. They need to fear you, but that's not the end of their relationship with you. That's what you teach them when they're very young. When you're rearing them. That's exactly what raising children is all about. But the end is a relationship of love, isn't it? I mean, my dad and I don't have the same relationship we did when I was seven or twelve. We are at a deeper level, a level of real love. It started with fear because that's the foundation. But it has to end in love. Which is exactly where Moses goes next by saying, You shall love the Lord your God, verse 4, with all of your heart, with all of your soul and with everything that you are. All your might. Love is not just a means. It's everything. It's the whole uh, deal. It's what everything else is focusing around and pointing to and leading to. Is loving God. And of course, Jesus even summarizes this in the New Testament by saying, if you want me to summarize the entire Old Testament, because when He says the Law and the Prophets, He's speaking about the Old Testament. He says then, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Love. It is the goal. 
it will never end. It's the thing that we do here that's eternal. I mean, when, when one of you shows me love, I can't forget that. That's something that is eternally notched in my person. It's why love defeats everything, even death. It transcends everything in our life because love is God. Not just from God, true love is God and only done by God in us. What a powerful thought this morning. That to love your wife, to love your spouse, to love your family, to love somebody else beside yourself is something eternal that changes their person. What a thought this morning. And yet too often, we're focused here. We don't see the other person. Now again, I'm talking to myself. You're just overhearing me say this. Do we need to refocus on love? Do you have that love for God that you know you need to have? I don't, notice I don't say that you used to have. Because love doesn't work like that. When Jessica and I first met, I couldn't hardly even eat. If you know me, that's insane. I couldn't think about anything but her. Not even my studies. I was acting weird. And people do when they fall in love. It's an amazing thing. And when we fall in love with God, it's the same way. But you know, I don't sit and have to tell myself, self, stop thinking about Jessica, you have to get back to work. I can do that now. Does that mean I don't love her? Does it mean I don't love her as much? No, I'd love this woman deeper, way more fully and matured now than I ever did when I got married to her. I'm still learning what love is. It's still going deeper. But I can tell you, my love for her is stronger than it has ever been in my life. Does that mean I didn't love her back then? No, it doesn't. It means that love grows. Love must be done on purpose. Love must move through emotions to where there are no longer any emotions and you still choose to love. That's what God does with you, isn't it? It's what He does with me. It's what Rachel was talking about. When God looks deep down in, that's some scary stuff. There's some things down in there that's not good. And yet... He still works with us. <clears throat> Going on to perfection means loving God with a pure heart. And by pure, I mean just like pure sugar. When you buy a thing that says pure sugar, that means what? There's nothing in there but sugar. You get my point there? There's no rivals, there's no debris. There's a pure love for God. 
Does that mean you'll do everything perfect? No, it doesn't. It doesn't ever mean perfect performance. But it means your heart is for God. The decisions you make are for God. Have we forgotten that? Do we need to really refocus back in on what we're doing? How we're loving God? Do we need to move past some of the emotions and stop seeking a feeling and start seeking the person? We must mature. We must move on. Because that's what love does. And you'll find there a joy in being with that person that you never could have thought possible when you were head over heels. Because then you couldn't even see the faults. Everybody's trying to tell you, hey man, you know, she's kind of got this issue over here. You're like, oh, I don't even know what you're talking about, man. Just straight ahead. It's something else when somebody knows your faults, knows your sin and your evil, and can still look you in the eye and say, I love you. That's security. That's deep. That's love. Sound like a commercial, didn't it? The third thing here, not only fear of God, love of God, but notice what he does next, and that is beware lest you forget. <laughs> it's easy to forget. Just like when Justin and I are playing here, you know, playing our video again. It was very easy to forget about the clothes and just focus on what I was doing and what I wanted to do. <clears throat> We're very good at doing what we like to do. Would you all agree with that? We're pretty good at doing what we want to do. That's, that's pretty simple. That comes naturally, so to speak. It's not forgetting about other people. Not forget, it's, it's forgetting about God that becomes very difficult for us. Now, you wouldn't think it would be. It's, it's kind of, again, go back to the marital analogy. There's sometimes in your life where you say, Oh, man, thank you for forgiving me. Let's just move on, and I'll, I'll never do that again. Okay. We do the same thing with God, isn't it? Lord, oh, thank you for doing that. And then we forget six months later. We forget His grace. We forget and we choose not to remember. We put other things in our lives. I think in our own culture here in specific North Alabama, the Huntsville area, comfort is our enemy. We just get comfortable. We don't see death and destruction around us. We don't literally see people dying and going to hell. We don't see people hurting because everybody covers herself up. And we do too. And we just get comfortable. I get comfortable. We get comfortable coming here and feel like we've done our part for the week. Check. Boredom. We're so overwhelmed with stuff in our life that we get bored. It's amazing with children. You give them a hundred toys in their room, they play with none of them. You leave them one in there, they'll play with it all day. We're the same way. We have so many toys, we just, eh, nothing to do today. I don't know, I just feel bored. 
And people would kill to get what you have. Moses says, when you get into the land, and when you get that nice TV, and when you get in that house that you didn't build, or you get into that job that you didn't build the company for, when you get those cell phones, when you get the car, when you get the reputation, when you get in the land, things that I've already prepared for you, don't lay up in your recliner and forget me. Because that's the tendency. We pull it back and think, I deserve this. And that's our first mistake. Remember where you came from. Remember what He delivered you from. There's not much in this life that I deserve. It's by His grace. I remember Mike Glenn from Dad's Church told me one time, he said, this uh, older lady, <clears throat> her husband had had a surgery, very complicated surgery. The surgeon came in to meet with her and she and, and said, you know, hey, look, everything's good. We, we fixed him up just fine, so on and so forth. He should recover fine. And she said, oh, thank God. And he said, uh, why are you thanking him? I'm the one that did the surgery. We kind of surprised. That, that statement always surprises me. But we act like that. That's how we act. Oh, I did this. You know, the question would be, well, who gave you the hands? <laughs> who gave you that brain of yours? Did you create that? Because no one is self-created. So where'd you get that from? Where'd you get that knowledge that was given to you in college? Because it wasn't you. Where'd you get those instruments? Did you make them? You forged them in your own house? The chemicals? The medicine? The amnesia? I'm sorry, anesthesia? <laughs> Well, his amnesia <laughs> and their anesthesia, <laughs> his amnesia of forgetting God. And yet we all have that same amnesia, don't we? I do. I look around sometimes think things are going well and get comfortable and forget what I'm doing. This morning, it's time to refocus. Jesus, remember what he says, and Moses says the same thing here. He says, remember God. And what does Jesus say to His disciples on the very last night that He is with them? He says, guys, I'm going to institute a meal so that you can remember Me. And as they took the cup and as they took the bread, He told them both of those times, and we say it every time we take communion here, remember Me. Remember Me. Have you remembered God in your life? This past week? Has he, have you connected what good things in your life are going on to Him? Have you cried out to Him in the hard times? Or have you tried to do it yourself? It's time to refocus, just like they had to do. At times in your life, you come to new situations. Children, that's a new situation. Let's refocus. Job uncertainty. Let's refocus. Some type of family crisis. Let's refocus. Maybe it's been on cruise control for too long for you. It's time to knock it off of cruise control and move forward. 
Maybe that means stopping for you. Waiting on God. Maybe it means taking a right turn or taking a left. Everyone's different and in a different situation. Where are you this morning? Same question that God asked Adam and Eve, remember? Where are you this morning? Do you remember God? Do you need to fall in love with Him all over again? If there's sin in your life, if you don't know the Savior, if you don't love God, you can this morning. That's the good news of our God. He can do it today. Choose you this day who you will serve. 